Chapter 15 is the topic of repentance unto life, alright? Repentance unto life. Now I'm thinking of the next session when we do WCF. As I mentioned a few times, we will do um, a mid midterm exam. <laughs> we are kind of like in the middle of the chapters. 30 over chapters, so I think it's a good time to do some revision. Otherwise, we keep learning and then we forget. Um, the Westminster Confession of Faith um, is very sound, very useful, so it's useful to, to revise. I hope all the question sheets I gave to you and you took answers um, on, you have kept them because I will most likely take most of the questions from what I've said earlier on. Alright, so... Go back and dig through your dustbin if you throw them away. So next session, I think uh, we'll do um, a quick revision. Okay. Now let's let's look at our notes, the one that I've printed out for you, chapter fifteen of repentance unto life. Now let's read fifteen point one together, please. Reading, repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. Okay, um, a few things to define and to understand. The topic is on repentance. So now the question is what is repentance? Biblically, what does it mean? Repentance, number one. And what does it mean? Repentance unto life. What is this life about? Now, first of all, the word repentance. Anyone want to try? I'm sure you've heard of the def definition before. Repentance, what does it mean? Now, daily we, are, we ought to repent of sin. Daily we ought to come to the Lord in repentance. So, what is repentance? I hope we have understood what it is. Anyone want to try? Repentance. Um, Alex, ever heard of the definition of repentance? No? Recognizing transgression that we've committed, okay, and turning away from them, right? And turning away from them, yes, that, that's a, quite a good definition. Recognizing um, our transgression and turning away from them. What else? Anyone else? Um, change of mind. Repentance is the change of mind. That is the exact um, Greek word of repentance. Change of mind. Now, change of mind. Meta noeo. That mind. The mind changes the way it thinks. The mind and the heart now looks at things differently. What does it mean when a person say, I repent? Repentance is a person now viewing sin, right? Viewing sin differently from how he used to view it. That's why his mind has changed. When you say mind, of course, it's heart and mind together. 
he looks at sin with a different um, perspective altogether. 180 degrees change in how he views transgression. What is transgression? Transgression is crossing the line. Means breaking God's law, right? So, for example, can you think of an example? Well, I remember before I became a Christian, I used to love sinful things. And then the day I became a Christian, in that very one, in that very moment, there was a 180-degree change in how I think about sins that I used to love. I used to love rock music. I used to love all these things. And then immediately, I view them differently. In the past, before that, no matter what people tell me to give up um, those kind of sinful things, I can't see why. So repentance is the person's mind completely changing in how he views sin. Let me do some revision. Salvation. Again, it begins with election. Very good. We will keep going through this because this needs to be clear in your mind. When did God elect us? When we decided to choose Him? No, before the foundation of the world. Before we were even born. After election, then? Say again. Okay, there is a general call. There is a general call. But for the believer, God issues the irresistible call. Very good. The special call. The special call or the irresistible irresistible call. Alright? The irresistible call. So there's the call. And then after that, when we are called with a special call, what happens? Um, let me try who? Uh, Edward, after God issues the irresistible call, then we respond, and we respond, and from and at that point, what happens to us? What does God do to us? Uh, not yet, not yet. Colin, very good. At this point, justification, justification, right? So, at this point when God calls us, the Holy Spirit causes us to respond, right? The Holy Spirit, that's why it's irresistible. He causes us to respond and at that point, are we immediately ready for heaven, Edward? Immediately, why? Because of this process called justification. Election, the irresistible call, justification. Means at that point, immediately we are ready for heaven. God stamps on us, Justified. Why can we be stamped justified as if not sinned before? Just as if we have never sinned. Why? Um, uh, ben. Because of the atonement of Christ. Christ's atonement. Right? Christ's finished work. That's why we don't have to do any work ourselves, right? Now, uh, after justification, yes, we know then it's sanctification, sanctification, and then glorification. Actually, um, Edward, what was your answer again? Uh, 
Positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. Yes, that is correct too because at this point, we are positionally sanctified. Means our position in Christ, we are pure. Right? So remember that. So at this point, does this positional sanctification change? No, it's permanent. Okay, then ongoing, we have what kind of sanctification? Progressive. Positionally, we are ready for heaven. Progressively, God makes us more and more Christ-like. Okay? The moment you were saved, were you Christ-like? Not yet. Were, you, were we Christ-like? No. Being Christ, it's being Christ-like the condition to go to heaven. That is progressive sanctification. We become more and more Christ-like, but at this point, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us and we are pure, ready for heaven. So, why does God leave you and I on earth? Valerie, if you are ready for heaven here, why does, Christ leave, why does God leave us on earth? For His glory, right? For His glory and being more and more Christ-like, we, refl- we reflect God by our lives, then God is glorified. Okay, that's why we are behind here. That's why we are here. So, now, repentance. Where do you think repentance figure in this whole process of um, sal- salvation? Where? John, where do you think? Repentance. Where does repentance appear? Where does repentance occur? Uh, Progressive. Very good. Let's use another color. Alright. So there is progressive sanctification here. How do we become more and more Christ-like? How do we become more and more Christ-like? Is we keep repenting of our sins, right? As God shows us more of our sins, we repent. So we become more and more Christ-like. Where else? Where else do you think? Adrian? Right? Just at this point, right? At this point, now, there is repentance here too. Because if we do not have repentance, can we be saved? And if you have repentance, can you be saved? Okay, we're going to answer those questions tonight. You have to be clear in our mind. So now, now repentance is, is this. At this point, God grants us repentance of the change of mind. Can you and I explain? Can you and I explain maybe your, your dad, right? Your dad or your loved one. You've been preaching to him your whole life. And he curses you, he hates you. He rejects Christ. But then, when God issues the irresistible call, your dad or your loved one says, I believe. And then, his mind totally changes. His view of Christ, his view of sin, before that he loves money, he loves drinking, he loves smoking. At that point, you say, Dad, you've got to stop smoking. It's sin. Dad, you've got to stop drinking. It's sin. And then he immediately says, okay. In fact, he says, what else should I stop? What else should I do? Right? It, is, it can be a difference of just one hour. He's a totally different human being. Repentance has occurred in his heart. His thinking has totally changed. Okay? 
Now, at this point, he desires to live a life of ongoing repentance for progressive sanctification. The Bible mentions many sins. Sins of um, lust, lying, um, fornication, um, love of the world, hatred, malice, strife. It lists a whole long list of sins in Galatians 5. And it says that these were sins that you used to, convict, you used to um, indulge in. But now you are new, no longer. Okay? So all those things change in us. So that is, at this point, that repentance. Now, so I ask you the next question. This, this chapter is called Repentance Unto Life. So now the question is, look at this diagram. Now, what does repentance unto life cover? What does it cover? Is it just here? No, we see two places where repentance occur, right? At this point, as well as ongoing. Now, what kind of life do you and I get at this point where God issues the irresistible call, grants to us repentance, the Holy Spirit works in us, our view of sin changes, we don't sin anymore. At this point, what kind of life do you and I immediately have? Yo, what kind of life? Uh, yes, you have new life, correct? New life, new life begins here, new life, but repentance to, unto life it begins here, but what, what life begins here? Huh? What is given to you here? Very good. Eternal life. Eternal life immediately is given to us. Sorry, can't see anymore. Eternal life immediately is given to you here, right? So this is called repentance unto life, where it has to do with our salvation, understand? Where it has to do with our salvation. Now, this happened already for you and I. There is this also repentance unto life. What kind of life now? This is the new life. The abundant life. So repentance unto life, we must not just view, view it as all about us getting eternal life. Now many verses in there has to do with uh, the apostles preaching for them, turn to Christ, repent, believe, and be saved. Eternal life. Other parts sanctification, repentance onto new life. All right, So we're going to cover both um, tonight. Then I'll ask you a next question. Now, look, look at 15.1. So this is it's an evangelical grace. Evangelical grace. In other words, it's something that... What is grace? Uh, grace? What is grace? Grace is... Yeah, really you. Yeah. What is grace? Yes, grace is a gift that we don't deserve, right? That's called grace. Now, it says repentance is an evangelical grace. Means it is a gift, right or not? It is given by God. Let's turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. That is your first footnote. Right? Shall we read together? Acts chapter 11, verse 18, reading, When they heard these things, they held their peace, and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also 
to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. The Jews realized, oh, God has also given repentance unto life to the Gentiles, not just to them. All right? So they say, oh, okay, we cannot complain anymore. We have to believe that God has done so. And notice what the word they use. God has given to the Gentiles what? Repentance unto life. God has given them. God has worked in them. God will work in them for repentance unto life also. And it is what? God has granted. God has also granted grace. That's why it's called grace. It's given. Now, can you and I ever work up in us to repent when the gospel was preached to us? Never. We've been rejecting all this while. What makes us change our mind on that day? It's a gift granted unto us. So just like, is faith a gift? We studied that, right? In that chapter, faith is also a gift of God. Now you see why the apostle says salvation is all of the Lord. It's totally of God. Nothing to do with us at all. Here we read a particular passage that says it is granted, repentance of life is granted by God, given by God. Does that make you very thankful? Does that make you very thankful? It means that on that day when you, you are saved, every time I talk about salvation, I remember that Saturday morning I was sitting in my school canteen alone. And the more I understand how God saved me, I always go back to that day. I was sitting there. It, what now I understand was, it was not because I was searching for Him. It was not because I want to believe Him. It was purely at that time God sent the Holy Spirit to work in me, change my mind, make me want to believe, convict me of sin, and make me ask Him to save me. Then when I think back, it's amazing. That is how God saved each one of us. Nothing for us to be proud about. In fact, we must be very grateful every time we think about that. We ought to think more about that. Then we are more grateful. So here, now the next thing. So we learned that. Now the next thing, why must point C? Question number C, 5.15.1 C. Why must, sorry, we preach what together with faith? Why must we preach repentance together with faith? Because here it says, as well as that of faith in Christ. This is what must be preached. Every minister of the gospel must preach that. Repentance as well as faith. Okay? So it must be preached. We talk about why later on, alright? Talk about why later on. Now, why is it often neglected? Why do you think that many churches, many evangelism gatherings, people don't talk about repentance? They don't preach about repentance. But here we learn that repentance must be preached um, together with faith. We learn that. Now, why? Can, can you please turn... We have to have proof. Luke chapter 24... First, we must establish that, yes, it is something that must happen. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 47. Luke 24, verse 47. Here is God's command to us. Let's read together. And that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So when God sent the... Um, disciples out. His specific command was that repentance 
must be preached together with salvation. That is a command. And then let's also look at Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Let's read together. And saying, the time is fulfilled. Are you there? Mark chapter 1, verse 15. All right, let's read together. And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. So is repentance and belief, in other words, faith. Preach, yes. It must be preached together. Pay, why do you think, our brother Pay, why do you think very often churches or gospel meetings, they don't talk about repentance. They may talk about faith. They love to talk about God's love. But very rarely do people these days preach repentance, although it's commanded in the Bible. Why do you think so? Say again? Because? Why do you think it offends people? Right? When we say repent, means you must face your sin, right? If not, repent for what? I don't have sin. What repentance? I don't need to repent. But the moment we say repent, they will say, are you telling me that I have sin? Number one. What's number two? Why do you think so, Ben? Do you like people to tell you to repent? The natural man, the sinner. Repent is what? To turn away, right? Change, turn away. Does, does, does the normal person like to be told, stop doing this, stop doing that, turn away? Remove this from your life, remove that from your life. Do people like to hear that? No. Right? So in other words, it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. That's why it's often not preached together. But we read from the Gospels as well as the book of Acts, God makes it very clear that repent ye and believe the Gospel. Not just simply believe. There is repentance that is preached. Okay. <clears throat> now, how does this affect our evangelism? How does it affect? Brother John, when we go for evangelism, now we learn, I must make sure, not only do I preach, believe the gospel, I must also tell them there's a need to repent of sin, right? How does it affect your gospel preaching now? When you, when you for example, when you chair at the old folks' home, or when you go for evangelism with us, how does that change your message? How does it change you? It's more effective because it's the full gospel, right? It's more effective. But it must change us as in, are you willing, are you ready to tell people, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus? That's the full gospel, repent and believe. Now, I'm not saying that it becomes a cliché. Eh? Everywhere you go, you just must say, repent, 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 repent. That's all. No, it, you must make sure the concept of repentance come across to the person. Understand that? We cannot leave... Um, yeah, oh, 
We cannot leave anyone. Oh no, must have hurt himself. <laughs> now we cannot leave anyone going away, not realizing that salvation, salvation involves faith involves repentance also. Otherwise, you have people like that, right? You preach the gospel. Then you say, uh, you must repent. Uh, sorry, you say, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved. Many of the Indians will say, oh, okay, great. I will believe, right? But once you tell them to repent from idolatry, suddenly they say, uh, no, I, I, want to be, I want to pray to all sorts of idols. Now, if you just tell them one side, they say, yes, I want to believe, but they still remain unsaved. Okay? So I say again, when we preach the gospel, we must not be afraid to help them understand. Sometimes you say repent, they don't understand why it's repent. Then do you just keep saying, oh, we learn in WCF, I must say repent. So I say repent and believe, repent and believe. Then you talk to maybe um, a little girl, that is um, nine years old, eight years old. They say repent. Say, how do you spell repent? I don't even know what it is. So you speak to a person who have never heard of the word repent. The point is, you must make sure they understand there is a need to turn away. These are sin. Turn away from sin. Turn to God, towards God. All right. So that concept must be clear in the heart. So when they go away, they may tell you go away. I don't believe. Go away, and then they go away. But in their heart, they understand one day I want to believe and there is also a need for me to now turn away from my sins. Okay, it must be in them. Now, next, 15.2. Let's read 15.2 together. Reading, By it, a sinner out of sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of His mercy in Christ, such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins, as to turn from them unto God, purposing and endeavouring to walk with Him in all the ways of His commandments. Alright, so what does all this mean? Let's break it up. Now, basically, this 15.2 is talking about what repentance involves <coughs> what repentance look like what repentance when we say re, a, a person say i repent what occurs in the person all right so you check yourself now you say i want to repent of my sin now these are what happens when a person desire to repent so a few questions i have to break it up is 15.2 question a now for a sinner who wants to repent for a sinner who repents in fact what does he see now look at 15.2 a sinner out of sight and sense out of sight and sense means he see as well he feels he sees and he feels he sees and feels what so let's see what he sees first what do you think he sees from here valerie he sees say again he sees his sins, but um, before that, he sees danger. He sees danger. He sees danger. When 
When the gospel was preached to me, I saw danger. When I heard that the penalty of sin is eternity in hell, I saw danger. I fear. When I understood that sin has consequences, God punishes, God chastises, troubles will happen, then I see there is danger. So when a person is repenting, he knows that sin is, is terrible. It has consequences and it can cause me to, to be sent to hell. So he sees danger. Number one. Now, number two, what else? Um, it was mentioned already. He sees... No, maybe now. What does he feel? What does he feel? Filthiness and odiousness of his sins. He feels it by his senses. Before that, oh, I wallow in sin. I think of this, I say that, I do that without any um, feelings that this is filthy. We use vulgar language before we are saved. We think it's funny. We think it's cool. But the moment you are saved, at this point, do you remember? At this point, you cannot say those words anymore. It just cannot come out anymore, right? There is this change, total change of mind. You see filthiness. You view sin as something that is shameful, ugly. You don't want people to know even. Right? You feel that it's very shameful, the filthiness. Unclean, you feel unclean. Before that, you commit sin um, with, 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 um, with zeal. Now you see it as filthy. You don't want to touch it. You don't want to be near it. It's filthy. And what else? Yeah, filthiness, odiousness, yeah, it is very, um, very ugly, very terrible. Now, any of, one of you still see sin as lovely? I'm not saying that we don't fall into sin, but when you do, even the sin that you tend to fall into it again and again, do you see it as something that is lovable, that is nothing wrong, that is nice? Even when we fall into sin as we live in this flesh, we still view those sin as filthy, unclean. All right? So that is the sinner, repenting. Then, what else? Um, what else does, does he feel? Now you see, upon the apprehension of Christ's mercy, upon the apprehension of Christ's mercy, you begin to, the repentant sinner sees, begin to understand the mercifulness of Christ. He begins to feel it. He begins to realize how filthy, how ugly I am, but yet Christ loves me. But yet Christ would come to save me. But yet Christ would forgive me. You begin to see the mercy of God. In other words, a repentant sinner, the degree of um, apprehension, understanding of God's love, God's kindness, God's goodness, God's um, long-suffering, our apprehension of that I would say is directly proportional to our apprehension of how filthy sin is. Understand that? The more you realize how terrible sin is, the more we will understand and realize how much um, God loves us. Now, so there's a sinner. Now, what else? What else does he feel? 
Um, something there. What does? What else does he feel, uh, Lillian? What else does he feel from fifty? Uh, from point number two. So we have. He sees danger. He he sees. He feels the filthiness of sin. He feels the. He understands the mercy of God. What else? What else does he feel? He grieves. He grieves and hates. Correct. He grieves and hates. So that is a second part. What does he feel regarding his sin? He grieves. He hates. He grieves and hates the sin. Do you? We may fall into sin. Do you joyfully go after that and say, "Oh, I'm so glad I managed to sin that sin," or do you grieve whenever you fall accidentally into sin, or you give in to sin? There's grief in the heart. Do you grieve? Now, actually, I ask you, why is there grief, Ben? Why do you think there's grief? You transgress against the Lord, right? That's why I think they they very very accurately put. Now, first, he sees filthiness, right? He senses filthiness. After sensing filthiness, he sees mercy of God, right? After he sees mercy of God, now he grieves whenever he sins because one, he grieves because I've sinned against God who loves me. It troubles you, right? You also grieve, and you why do you hate sin? Because it's filthy. Because it has made you dirty. And he has done what between you and Christ? Pay. When we sin, what happens to us and Christ? What is broken? What is broken between you and Christ when you sin? What has broken? Um, Leah. What happens? The the fellowship has broken, right? The fellowship has broken. I know many of us want to be precise. Do we say relationship or fellowship? Hmm. Now, at this point, when you and I is granted repentance unto salvation, unto eternal life, what have you become with God? You are God's children. You are God's children. You are God's children, right? Now, is this a permanent thing? Permanent, and it is called a what? Father and child relationship, right? Father and child relationship. Now, then in your ongoing walk, when you and I fall into sin, when you and I fall into sin, does the relationship change? Father and son remains, right? Father and child. What changes? Your fellowship. Your fellowship. I give you an example. When you and I were young, then dad and mom says, "Don't do this." Then we were rude. Then we sh- we shouted at them, and then or we purposely do things that they say don't do. All right, so we transgress their law. Okay. Now, what happens when you know that you have done something wrong, and therefore your parents are angry at you? How do you feel? Very happy. No, you feel very sad throughout the day, right? To know that your parents are angry at you for you having done something that have angered them, 
hurt them. Right or not? That fellowship is affected. Why is repentance important? Repentance is when our fellowship gets restored. Right or not? Immediately you can't wait to finish school, go home from school, and then go and apologize. Because wholly in school, you know your dad or your mom is angry at you. You can't wait to go back, apologize, and then they smile at you. They say, it's forgiven, don't do it again. And then you're very happy again, right? As long as you know that your parents are angry at you, you look at, your, you look at the things you want to do, you feel very sad all day long. That is a sinner who wants to repent. He's grieving. He's hating. That's why there's grief. Grief because you have offended God who loves you. You have understood His mercy. Hatred for sin because you know that breaks your fellowship with God. I think it was last week's Judges, right? We talk about, about repentance. What did you learn about repentance? I'm not, I'm not sure if it's covered. It was covered. Um, Brother Douglas, do you learn, did you learn one thing? I was trying to highlight. When it comes to repentance, do it what? Yeah, then right in the beginning of the chapter, we say, ah, they sinned and they, they were in trouble for how long? Seven years. What do we learn about repentance? Okay, we repented and God came to rescue, but they waited how long? Seven years. In that seven years, how was their life? How miserable. They live like animals, remember? They, who lives in caves? Animals. They lived in caves. When we don't repent, we continue in that our lives are miserable because of the consequence of sin. We must learn to hate it. Not only that, God and their fellowship was broken all this while. How terrible, right? Why is repentance very important? Because it restores, number one. So what do we learn about repentance? How to do it? Do it quickly, immediately. Whenever God shows us, whenever you sin, repent immediately. Now, if you and your wife have a disagreement, then you're angry, at, uh, or your wife is angry at you, or your husband is angry at you. Are you happy the whole day? You're troubled, right? What's the best way? Quickly restore the fellowship, right? Quickly restore. Repent and restore. We'll talk about this a bit more when we come to presumptuous sins. Alright? So, repentance. Here. Now, do you feel, do you know all this in repentance? The sinner, let's, let's revise her. Huh? A repentant sinner, how, how does he see his sin? He sees sin as a danger to him. Do you see that? Now, a repentant one sees that. His fear. Is there anything wrong, anything wrong to fear? To fear. To repent out of fear. Anything wrong? Some people say, no, we should repent out of love only. But here, God's word shows many places. Um, let's turn to Ezekiel 18. Please, Ezekiel 18. Okay, maybe... Um, oh, Caleb is not here. 
Maybe in future, every WCF session, um, we put up a projector, Adrian, put up a projector so I can project the verses, then it'll be faster. All right? I also want you all to turn, but maybe faster. Now, Ezekiel chapter 18. Now, let's read verse 30 together. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, said the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Does God incent us, tell us to repent because of, if not, we will be ruined? God does. God warns us. Repenting with the understanding that it can ruin us, we fear there's nothing wrong. Right? Of course, the best is to repent because we love God, right? But it's both. That's why when we see the mercy of God, you grieve. It is both repentance out of fear and repentance out of grieving God. Both. You grieve because you love Him. Both. Because uh, some people, they feel guilty, you know. They feel guilty that I repented not because I love God. I repented because I'm afraid that God might chastise me. God uses that too. Right? Like, uses that to prevent us. Like you tell your child, a child that is misbehaving, a child that wants to run across the road, a child that wants to put his hand to the, into the oven that is hot. Do you keep saying, Daddy and Mommy loves you so much? Why don't you obey us out of love? You know? And the hand is going in already. What do you shout? Remember, Daddy and Mommy loves you so much. Why don't you respond to us? Listen to us. You hurt Mommy and Daddy when you don't listen. You don't because out of love for the child, you immediately shout, I'm going to take the cane and whack your hand. Or you actually do it. You move anymore, I'm going to whack your hand. Then the child stops, right? Out of fear, right? It is still the love of God to stop us in our tracks sometimes. In our tracks. Of course, it's always good that we obey. We, we don't even reach that stage. We always obey and repent because we love the Lord. Now, next, let's move. Um, so God does tell us to repent because of ruin. Because of ruin. Now, actually, the, then the second one. We say, we, how does he view sin? He feels sin is filthy and odious, right? Filthy and odious. Can you turn your Bibles... Um, to Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30. Now let us see how God describes sin very often. Isaiah 30. Shall we read verse 22 together? Isaiah 30. Shall we read verse 22 together? Ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver and the ornaments of thy molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Get thee hence. Now God says, how should we view sin? How does a repentant person ought to view sin? Well, sin, they see the idolatry or whatever they love, they're sinful. God says, cast, you will cast them away as a menstruous cloth. As a menstruous cloth. That is what it is. He said that is how sin is viewed as a person and get the hands, put it away. How many of us keep those things? No, we throw it away. So God used very strong languages to describe what we would normally throw away 
But when we love sin, we are embracing the things, this kind of things, like rubbish. Okay, so the person begins to view sin as something really um, odious, something that they want to throw away, get, get away from. Okay, so that is where we get that scripture um, verse to describe the odiousness, filthiness of sin, unclean, dirty things. Alright, so now what does he do last? What does he do? Um, Michael, what does he do? Look at, look at point number two. What does he do, the last part? What would a sinner who repents do? He would? Very good. He will purpose and endeavor to walk with God in all the ways of his commandments. So, a repentant person does not simply say, I changed my mind, I don't like it, but he also purpose and endeavor. Not only he purpose in his heart, he does it. He will now walk. In other words, he acts. He gets rid of sin. He walks in God's way. And is it in some ways? It is in all his commandments. All. Repentance also involves our making right, our turning away. Okay? It involves both. By this point, I ask you a question. Oh, this is really getting messy. Okay, you think carefully. Repentance involves the change of mind, heart, that would end up in what? An action, right? You will change your behavior. Okay, that's, that's repentance. When you fall into sin, so there is um, change of mind. Okay, you hate sin, you see it's unclean, you don't like it. There's a change of mind. You know change, right? Change of mind. And then there is action. Action. That leads to action. Now, some people have this concept. Um, I repent after I have done all the right things. Is that repentance? It can be, but what I'm trying to highlight, there is a danger in us sometimes. Um, we commit a sin. Alright, we commit a sin. And then, we feel that in order to repent, for a whole week, I must fast. For a whole week, I must do certain things. For a whole week, I must feel very grieved, very miserable, very sorrowful. I must feel all these things before I repent. Have you experienced that before? When you keep thinking you must, you must be very miserable, you must feel all those things, you must do all those things, and then now you say, okay, now I'm ready to repent. It can be dangerous. Now, I'm not saying it's devoid of these feelings, but sometimes, in fact, this is called penance. You know penance, the Roman Catholic concept? Go and do all these things first. Then you get forgiven. Okay? The Bible says, repent and believe. Right? So how long? Go and do a lot of good works first. 
then we, then, we get, then we believe, then get saved? No. It's repent and believe. It's at the same point. Your view of sin changes. You want to repent. And then you believe. And then you start to change. Alright? So don't delay. Don't delay. Don't delay. Have the right understanding of that. Um, okay, then, uh, then based on this, all this definition that we've learned about repentance, I ask you, what is false repentance? All right, a true repentance is your heart, you really feel, you, you understand it. Now, when a person gives excuses, so you test, am I genuinely repenting? For example, um, you're caught lying. You're caught lying, you're caught cheating. And then, um, the person approached you and then you keep giving excuses. You say, oh yeah, 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 that, uh, I was wrong. But it keeps giving excuses. But you know, based on this situation, actually, and then based on that, actually, and you give a lot of excuses to justify what you did. Is that repentance? That is not repentance. Because based on this definition from God's Word, a person genuinely views it as wrong. He makes no excuses. Because he grieves and he hates it, he does not try to justify it. Okay, so whenever we want to test our genuineness of repentance, do not give excuses. Um, turn to Psalm 51. And that is the um, well-known passage, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 4. Alright, let's read together. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. We'll come back to this again. Now, the moment Nathan told David that, he has, that God has sent him to tell him that he has sinned, committed adultery, did David give excuses? Did David delay? Did David justify? Did David try to cover up? No, he immediately acknowledged, I have sinned. That's it. And when he prayed to God, God, I have sinned. That's it. No excuses. Did David pray um, against you? Have I sinned because that lady have to bathe in the public? God, and you made her so beautiful? No excuse, simply, God, I have sinned. That's it. You know your children, right? You have sinned. Yes, daddy, but, but, but. And a lot of but. Then you must teach them. When you have sinned, do not give excuses. Teach them from very young. Do not make excuses. Now, this whole concept of, of David praying to God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. You know what that means? David understood that it's no use to cover up. A genuine repentant person does not cover up when God shows him his sin. Does not cover up. Does not try to pretend that it's not there. When David prayed against thee, and thee only have I sinned. What is he saying? He said against you. He knows that God sees always, right? Because God sees always, is there any point for David to pretend? 
Is there any point for David to cover up? Is there a point, any point for David to give excuses? Because he knows God sees right into his motives. The moment he wants to give excuses, he knows that God already knows he's, he's giving excuses. So genuine repentance is this kind of prayer. When you and I pray, when we go to God, be brutally honest. That is repentance. Don't say, God, I've done this, but you know, um, that person is like that. Just simply know that God sees everything. God knows everything. He knows our motives. Just confess and repent and turn away. Okay? Now, what does he do? He turns away. Let's, let's very quickly look at Psalm 119. How do we get that? That he turns away. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Okay, now let's read verse 59 together. Psalm 119, verse 59. Are you there? Psalm 119, verse 59. Let's read. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Now, what is he saying? I thought on my ways, my heart and my mind began to realize, began to acknowledge that it's sin. I thought on my ways. And then, I turned my feet. I now repent by also acting. Now, if you're a person who loves to, I don't know, um, lie, exaggerate. Exaggeration is lie. Eh? Exaggeration is also lie. Or, or gossip. You think of your way. This is sin. Then now you must stop lying, stop gossiping, stop whatever it is. It has to stop. It has to stop. Now that is genuine repentance. It brings about an action to stop. That's why he said, I thought and I caused my feet to walk differently, to walk in your ways. Um, now let's read Psalm 119, 106. The last one, Psalm 119, 106. Now it says, I have sown. I will perform it and thought that I will keep thy righteous judgment. So he says, I will perform, I will keep. So he says, now I've sinned, Lord, forgive me. Now I determine in my heart that I will keep your ways. I will keep your commandments. Now this keep is to perform. I perform it, I will do it. So repentance involves all this. Okay, so I think these are good verses that the Westminster Divine called up to help us to understand. Um, okay, so now it comes to the other part. Well, maybe I'll ask you this question. B, what would make us see more of how sinful and filthy sin is? What? Look at point number two. Read point number two. Now, why, why does a person see his sin as menstruous cloth, filthy, unclean. Young. Con because the person sees that it is contrary to the holy nature and the righteous law of God. Why do you and I not see sin as sinful? Why do you and I does not see particular sins that we conduct as filthy? Why? Because 
we fail to see more of how holy God is. The more we see more holy, God's holiness, the more we see our filthiness. Who can think of a prophet that felt that way? Ben. Which prophet? The more he saw God's holiness, then he says, I'm unclean, I'm filthy. Especially his lips. Say again. Who is it? Isaiah, right? In the presence of God, he said, Woe unto me, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. If you want, it's Isaiah chapter 6, right? Isaiah chapter 6. A man of unclean lips. In the presence of God, the angels cover their feet, right? Actually, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I think it's important to build that in us that we may repent with such understanding. Hmm. Isaiah chapter 6, let's read verse 5 and 6. I think. To five. Now let's read verses um, one, two, one to five. Reading verses one to five, Isaiah six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims; each one had six wings, and the twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Now why did the angels cover their feet? Because they saw the holiness of God. <coughs> to them, they don't want God to see their feet. Right? It's embarrassing. It's, to them, everything is unclean before God. Now, and Isaiah the prophet, was he a holy prophet? He is far, far holier than us. But yet he says, I am a man of unclean lips. Do you and I really feel we are that unclean <laughs> compared to Isaiah? Well, Isaiah, if we were like Isaiah, I think we'd be very proud already. I'm so holy. But Isaiah, the holy prophet, in the presence of God, you hear the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. Thrice holy. Immediately he sees himself as unclean. Unclean, alright? So, you and I want to see more of grief, more for sin, hate sin more, see the filthiness and odiousness of sin more. Learn to know more about God. Study more about God. Know more about Him. Then we'll feel unclean. It's just like you and I, if we are used to living in a dirty environment, we don't feel it. Then you go to someone's house, super clean. All of a sudden, you feel embarrassed taking off your shoe. You say, my socks is very smelly. You feel everything is, you feel that I don't want to sit on their chair. Maybe I dirty their house. Better not step on the floor, right? This is how it is because we see the big difference. We must see more of God. So now we move to number three. Number three. Let's read number three. Although repentance be not be rested in 
as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet is it of such necessity to all sinners that none expect pardon without it. Now, what is he saying? Although repentance be not rested in, as in any satisfaction for sin, or any cause of pardon thereof. Now, he's saying this. He's saying that repentance does not appease God, does not pay for our sin, does not provide for satisfaction of sin. Neither does repentance cause forgiveness, pardon, by repentance itself only. Okay, just by repentance itself, we cannot get satisfaction of sin, neither pardon from God. Um, let me see if that's a good verse to use. Okay, now let's turn to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Let's read together. I will pour, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the house, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and the supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, here God says that they will see Christ, and they will remember, this happened in Acts, right, that they crucified their God, and then they felt very terrible. They felt very remorseful, right? They felt remorse. They were afraid. Now, God says that I forgive them because of what? Look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. He says, simply because I pour the spirit of grace and supplication upon them. In other words, God says, you see my son, you crucify him, you feel mournful, you hate sin, you feel terrible, you repent in your heart. But God says, it is because I pour grace on you to forgive you. That's why you get forgiven. I, I explain in this way. Because sometimes we think that our repentance does a lot. God forgives. God has forgiven us because, because why? Our sins are forgiven, our sins are cleansed because why? Our John. First and foremost, because why are our sins forgiven? How do we get our sins forgiven? Why would God forgive us of our sins? Uh, because He loves us? Uh, not that why. I mean, how come? How come our sins can be forgiven? How come our sins are forgiven? Why? Because on what condition did God forgive us? How come our sins can be forgiven? Fiona, how come our sins can be forgiven? Say again? Because of God's mercy and 
in his mercy, what did he do? Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ became our Savior, died for us. Died for, paid for our sins, right? Right, John? Why our sins can be forgiven? Because simply God's mercy, He elected us and sent Jesus Christ to die for us. That's why our sins can be forgiven. Right or not? Did God say that, so this is purely He poured His grace upon us. Now, if we think that our repentance saves us, if we think that by repenting, God must forgive us, then we forget that it is God's pure mercy. That God will forgive us when we repent is purely His mercy. Understand that. Even we repent and God choose not to forgive us. In fact, I ask you, you keep repenting, can your sins be forgiven? Um, Rowena, we just keep repenting. Can our sins be forgiven simply by our repenting? Why? Because if Christ did not come, we can repent till the cows come home, as they say. Can our sins be forgiven? No. It's purely God's mercy that He did send Christ to die for our sins. We can keep repenting. In fact, that is how a lot of other religions come about. It is all about don't sin and you can be saved. For Christian, we are already saved because of God's mercy. Therefore, repent. Therefore, repent. At the point of salvation, at the point of salvation, did you repent? Who gave repentance? Who changed your mind? Who made you turn away from sin? God's mercy. We must differentiate that. Otherwise, we can end up like that. Um, God, please bless me because I have repented. Do you think it's a biblical prayer? God, please bless me because I have repented. God bless us simply because of His mercy. Repentance is our duty. We don't mix it up. We don't think that just because we have been repentant, we have been repenting of our sins, therefore, God must do this and must do that for us. Okay, so we must not mix that up. Repentance is expected of us. That's why here, they rightly pointed out that repentance um, does not contribute to satisfaction of sin. Christ contributed to the satisfaction of sin. Christ, uh, the free act of God, bring pardon. But then, now it says the second part. Let's read the second part, point number three. Yet, is it of such necessity? Can you see that? Let's read together. Yet, is it of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it? Now, what is it saying? Um, 3.7. Okay, let me try and pull up some verses. Now, turn to Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. Can we read Luke chapter 13, verse 3 together? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Huh? In other words, without repentance, can you be saved? Without repentance, can you be saved? Except we repent, we cannot be saved. 
Now, how are we going to understand this? Does repentance save us? But yet, God's, then we see, we understood earlier on, God says since the Old Testament, purely by grace, we are saved by grace, through faith. God says it is not of works, right? Not of repentance. Purely His grace. He forgives us. But yet, we read, Christ Himself said, except you repent, you will likewise perish. Now, this is talking about salvation, right? About salvation. Um, I ask you that question here. Uh, all right. So question A, fifteen point three A, we we saw that already. Now question three B: Can the absence of repentance lead to salvation? We read just now. No. But yet we say salvation, repentance is not does not contribute to salvation. So I asked you that question and I gave you a hint. Our last lesson. What is saving faith? What is saving faith? Now, in order to be saved, we are saved by faith, right? We are saved by grace through faith, right or not? So, revision time. What is saving faith? Now, there's false faith and there's faith that saves. Three things. I taught you and I hope you remember. I, I help you to go through the sequence, right? What? Huh? Mind? I know mind. You must understand. Very good. You must have the understanding of the what gospel? Understand the true gospel. In other words, you cannot be saved without knowing how to be saved, right? The truth. So it's faith plus repentance. We know there's repentance. Now, what's the second one? I, I say from here, then move to where? Move to heart. Very good. What about the heart? Say again. There is a, a purpose, a conviction. Alright, a conviction. A belief. A belief. The heart is convicted and it believes. So I know. You know something, does it mean you believe something? No, right? Knowing does not mean believing. Not only you know, many people know the gospel, that they don't believe. Their heart is not moved. So remember, from here, you know the true gospel. From here, you are moved by it. And you be, want to believe in it, right or not? Does this two alone save? That's what's the third one. Very good. That is the will. That is the will. In other words, you know the true gospel. Your heart is moved. And then, you, God changed you and you begin to change. Now this is the call what? Repent. Sorry. Repent. The repentance part. Saving faith involves knowledge, right knowledge, heart, belief. But there are people who are like that, you know. I believe next year. Why? I want to live one more year of my sinful life. I love my sin too much. Maybe when I grow older, I really, really believe that Jesus is really God. I really believe I'm going to hell if I don't believe in Him. But I don't want to change. I'm not willing to change. At least not yet. Right? Repentance. So remember why saving faith? You must help people understand that, right? Saving faith is... Okay, I do action. <laughs> action. So you remember. Next time, ask you how you remember. Because we study about faith. Faith is the right knowledge. 
wrong knowledge, no use. Then, heart belief. And then, the will, the desire to repent, right or not? No desire to repent, not saving faith, no salvation. Do you understand why God says repent? Repent, or else you will likewise perish. Because you don't repent, you have this too. You don't have this. You don't have saving faith. Repent, or you will likewise perish. Who has this too and will still and are trembling and they are going to hell? Whole bunch of that. Huh? Who? Say again, Rowena. The devils. The Bible says the devils, they also know and they tremble. They tremble more than us. But they are going to hell because they cannot repent. Neither will they repent. They cannot repent. Alright? Repent or you will likewise perish. That is saving faith. Okay, so I hope you understand and remember that. So sometimes, okay, maybe I ask you, uh, um, you do not know whether your child is saved. Hmm? You don't know whether your child is saved, or you don't know whether your grandfather, grandmother is saved. Then you go and visit them in the hospital, or you talk to your child. Now, how do you ascertain that your child is saved? Because you can tell a child, repent or you shall likewise perish. You, I told you not to tell any more lies, you better repent or you will likewise perish. If you don't understand this, you will create this. Keep repenting and think that I will, say, I will be saved. You check all three, understand that? Repentance alone is salvation by works, right? This is salvation by faith. Okay? This happens first, then you repent. At this point, God changed your mind. Okay? So how do you ascertain? You ask, um, Grandpa, do you believe that what are the key things here? That Jesus is God. Right? If you want to make sure Jesus is God, a person can believe that Jesus is so good and all that, but Jesus is not God, cannot be saved. Jesus is God. What's the second thing? You are a sinner. Do you, believe, do you understand that? Say, so, yeah, I understand. And that, what's the third one? There is no other way to go to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Right? That He died for us, He resurrected, only He can save us. You must come to Him. So if I hate knowledge already, right? So how are you going to tell? So for example, John, you, you want to be sure that your mom is saved. You explain that to her, then you say, yes, John, yes, I understand, I know, I also believe. Then what's the next thing? Then you say, in your, but in your heart, do you really believe? They say, yes. Like Sister Ming Ming shared, right? The, ask the Father, do you believe that Jesus is God? Yes. And then, who else can He be? His heart is totally convinced. Right? And then you ask, you know, have you known a change in you since you believe? But you do not want your sins anymore. You look at sin differently. That is called repentance, right? You look at and you think about sins differently. So you look at your child. Is there that, that fruit, that change? You ask people, since the day, like for example, this person came, I say, Are you a Christian? I say, Are you a Christian? I say, I've been to church for many years. I say, so, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? 
They say, um, I think not yet. I think not yet. Then I say, why do you say that? He said, because I do not know God fully yet. I'm trying to know Him fully, then I dare to call myself a Christian. I say, when you die now, if you die now, would you go to heaven? They say, um, I'm not sure. Then I ask these three questions. And the person could answer me spot on. These two. When he came to this part, I asked him, he said, so what do you mean by a Christian? I say, well, he has two of this. A true born-again Christian has two of this. And this part, there is a change that comes over him. He looks at sin, his life, his attitude towards sin has changed. I said, do you know of this change in yourself? He said, yes. I said, example, I say, well, I used to um, do this, do that, but now I don't do them. I said, why don't you do them? Because of this too. I said, I know that I should not anymore. In fact, I said, do you like them? I don't like them. Do you fall into them? Yes, I fall into them. Every time I fall into them, I feel very terrible. I hate it. And then I ask God to forgive me again. Well, then I said, this is saving faith. Then he said, oh, never explain. no one explained that to me. I thought I must know the Bible very, very well. Then I can be saved. You see? So once a person understands saving faith, repentance, the change in him, you can verify that it helps you. Right, John? So for example, you ask your mom. You can go through this with them. Then you have assurance. Because sometimes some of them, they don't have this. Then they say, oh, really? Then it is then that they get saved when they come to trust in God. All right? So I want to say that. Now let's move quickly. 15.4. Um, some of these are quite straightforward. Let's go through quickly. 15.4a. Uh, 15.4. Let's read 15.4 together. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it cannot bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Now, so what is it saying? There is no sin so small, it deserves um, as there are no sins so small, but it deserves damnation. Meaning to say, because some people think that if I tell a little lie, it's okay. I won't go to hell. So I've not murdered people. I've not raped anyone. I've not burned down people's houses. I've, I've not killed someone. So he said, these are small sins. They don't deserve damnation. Can you think of a Bible verse that contradicts that? The Bible says, let's turn to James chapter 2, verse 10. James chapter 2, verse 10. Okay, let's read James 2.10 together, reading. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Alright, so now, just guilty, just one sin, small or big, God does not define. God says just one sin, then you're guilty of the rest of the law. Okay, guilty of all. Sin in one point, guilty of all. We have become a sinner simply by committing one sin. So that's what he's trying to say. Okay, so I just read some familiar verse to you. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages of sin is death. That's it. God did not define big sin, small sin. Um, God does not define that. Um, in fact, let's turn to Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 for this point. Matthew 12, verse 36. <coughs> Matthew 12, verse 36. Shall we read? But I say unto you, that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word. Careless, saying things that may be sinful. Just idle words we must give account. Is that a small sin? Idle words. How many of us say idle words? <laughs> All the time. We sit down, terrible. So, we, we, so God says just that. It may look like not sin to us. But I ask you with this question here. Here, I ask. Now, so. Oh, before that. Before that, I ask you. Now, why is it that a little lie will condemn a sinner to eternal judgment? Because God says, by just one point of the law, you are guilty of all. That's the answer. Now, does this make God very demanding? Does this make God very demanding? What do you think? Cheryl, do you think God is very demanding? Now, if you go for evangelism, then you say, well, we, we, sin, we just commit one sin and we are guilty of eternal damnation. And then they say, wow, your God is very demanding. Come on, I never kill anyone. You know, what is a little white lie? And then you tell me just that I, must, I will be condemned to hell just for that white lie that I told when I was three years old and I've never told a lie ever again? So what do you answer? So well, God is very demanding. It's not that God is demanding, but because He is a holy God. Because God is holy, you cannot, we cannot understand God's holiness. God is so holy that to us, our definition and our standard of sin is not the rule for judgment. Understand that? God judges based on His standard of holiness. To us, a lie is just a small lie. But God is so holy that a lie is a filthy, very ugly sin. So, God is not demanding. God is just holy. But is God demanding still? He's going to send me to hell, Cheryl. No, but... He's just, okay, so he must judge, he must judge sin. But he's so demanding, how, what can I do? Yes. Is God so demanding that he says, you must meet this standard, if not, I will judge you? He says, yes, I will, but there is a way out. I provide a saviour who meet that standard that you cannot meet. Is God demanding? No, God is very merciful, as merciful as he is, holy, right or not? Right? So this is how you explain some of these questions when they come up in evangelism. Okay, so now, i ask you the next question. So it's um, B. Name and explain the two kinds of sin a person has. So now, a person... has sinned and will 
and need to repent. There are two kinds of sin that results in a person. What are they? Do you remember? Hmm? Say again? No. Um, Huiling, why, why are we all sinners? Because it's in us. It means the moment we are born, we are, sinful, we are sinners. We are born only, it's in us already. Why is it in us? Because of Adam and Eve, right? So it's called what kind of sin? Is it our fault? Is it our fault? No, right? That is the original sin or imputed sin. Imputed, original. The original sin of... Original doesn't mean this, no one ever commit this kind of sin. It's very original. I invented a new sin. It's, it's Adam's and Eve, original sin, and it's imputed to us, right? Does the Bible prove that? What did David say? In sin, I was conceived in my mother's womb, right? So David say, in my mother's womb, I was already a sinner. That's imputed sin. Now, do we get sent to hell for imputed sin? It's sin, right? That's why Christ has to come and reverse it. What is the second one? What is the second one? It's a very good. It's willful sin. Willful sin. Right? Willful sin. What is willful sin? The moment we are born, we are sinners. But because we are sinners, we will sin willfully, right? We will sin willfully. We get jealous. Babies get jealous. Babies sin. Okay? So, willful sin. You commit it yourself. Okay, so these two um, exist, and therefore we are already sinners. Now, there is this concept, the Roman Catholic concept. I need to help you to understand because now, the Roman Catholics have this concept of venial sins and mortal sin. All right? Venial and mortal sin. Venial sin is this, um, because this question is, small sin will go to hell or not? Only big sin go to hell, right? That was the question. Venial sins are sins which, or maybe I start with mortal sin. Now, mortal sins are sins which they define as someone commit purposefully, purposefully, means for example, I know thou shalt not um, covet, or thou shalt not uh, bear false witness. That purposely, I lie. I know it's wrong, I know it's a sin, I lie. Right, it's committed on purpose. Number one. Number two, mortal sin, so on purpose. Number two, now, mortal sin are those that will send you to hell. Will send you to hell. It will send you to hell unless you, unless you repent. Uh, the definition of repentance is what? Penance, right? Unless you do penance and you confess to priests. Alright? So it said this kind of sin you commit purposely uh, is called mortal sin. And sins that will send you to hell are called mortal sins. And the only way to get out of mortal sins, you you confess to the priest and you do penance. Okay? If you don't, you're going to hell. Now, venial sins, they say small sins won't go to hell. We just read, right? Every sin sent us to hell. Now small sins are this. Venial sins are you did not not on purpose. 
Not on purpose. Not on purpose. You were under duress, then you, 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 you in weakness, you lied. Or you committed and you didn't even know you committed it. Right? Not on purpose, number one. And number two, um, it, can, it does not send you to hell. Not, not um, sent to hell. You won't be sent to hell for it. You won't be sent to hell for it. They say, won't be sent to hell for it means what? It means that since you did not commit on purpose, penal sins won't send you to hell, so you'll be sent to purgatory. You'll be sent to purgatory. You won't be sent to hell, don't worry. Alright? You'll be sent to purgatory, and then you get, you get punished or you suffer for a while, because it is not mortal sin, you will go to heaven after you spend enough time in purgatory. Or you confess to the priest, basically the same, confess and penance. Okay? This, this is how they define. Now, this is about repentance, right? So, what is the problem with... So I ask you, now, is a Roman Catholic concept true? We just say no. Bible says, one point of the law, guilty of all, right? That's it. No such definition. God did not say big sin, small sin. Now, so now I ask you, what... Oh, no space to fill. What are the danger? What are the dangers of this? What are the dangers? It means, it means what saves you? What forgives you? Penance and confession to priests saves you. Purgatory, confession to priests and penance saves you. Understand that? That is the problem with this. And we've studied so far, God forgive us because, because of what? Because we repent? Because salvation is by grace, by faith in Christ's grace, right? By grace through faith. And that faith includes repentance, understand that? There is a change of heart and mind. Not just that alone. So now that is one problem. So we studied repentance, now we understand what is wrong with this. What other, pro- what other problem do you have with this? Means? Yeah, it's salvation by works. Christ's death, what's the use? I can go to purgatory to pay for my sin, you know. I don't need Christ to die for my sin. I go to purgatory, I can be forgiven. Now, um, I do penance, I can be forgiven. I, I do repentant works, I can be forgiven. Christ is not involved. Now, another problem is this. So what happens? Oh, I committed a mortal sin. I committed a mortal sin. I'm going to hell. Alright? So for example, Colin is a Roman Catholic. Or me. I was a Roman Catholic. I committed a mortal sin. Okay? How for me to get forgiven and avoid hell? Repent and do penance. Uh, Do penance and confess to priests, right? Then I'm not going to hell. Hmm? Then I commit mortal sin B. Oh no, I'm going to hell again. So I quickly go and do penance and confess to the priest and do penance that he gave me to do. Then I'm not going to hell again. And then I committed mortal sin A again. So this is a system that you keep losing and regaining your salvation. This is not the kind of salvation that is described in the Bible, right? We've studied so far. It is, what is that word? Starts with J. Justification. 
we are justified already. Um, what are some of the Bible verses that confirms this justification? Any one that the Father gives to Christ, Christ said he will in no wise lose any one of them. Right? No one can pluck, up, pluck us out of his hand. Salvation is firm and sure. Now let's, let's move quickly. Yeah? Um, now number five. Let's read number five together. Oh, be, before that, before that, before that. Point number four. Now in your evangelism, sometimes you preach repentance and then you ever hear people say to you, I am not forgivable. The sin that I've committed is not forgivable. God won't forgive me. I'm so terrible a person, I can't be forgiven. In fact, there is this person in Barrington, right? Um, what's his name? Jim. Jim. He said, God won't forgive me. And as we preach the gospel, as we tell him the truth, slowly he began to realize that he can be forgiven. That's why you look at point number four. There is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Shall we turn to Isaiah 1? Isaiah 1. Um, verse 16 and 18, I think. Hmm. Oh, point number 4. Okay. Um, let's, Isaiah 1, verse 16 and 18. Reading 16 and then 18 together. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil from your, of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. In other words, repent. Eh? Now, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Snow and wool. Alright, so read them this verse. I will cover something else later. The same for Christians, you know. Sometimes we can feel that God will not forgive us. And then we must read this verse to remind us. Because Satan can continue to cast this doubt. You remember that sin you committed? I don't think it's forgiven. I don't think God will forgive you. Then we must come to this verse to remember. God says, even like scarlet. Means like you take a piece of white cloth, soak it in blood, all red and or the menstrual cloth, red and filthy. And then God says, I can turn it to white as snow, like wool, pure. Right? So there's no sin that a person who truly repents, God will not have forgiven and made as pure, white as wool, justified. Last one, eight, not yet. Number five, let's go quickly. Number five, let's read five together. Men ought not to contend themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavour to repent of his particular sins. Particularly, what is it saying? It's saying now, we, cannot, we should not repent generally. In other words, when we pray, when we come to God, God forgive me, I think I've sinned somehow against you today, but you just forgive me for everything, alright God? Amen. In Jesus' name even. But we should endeavour to repent in particular. A particular sins. When we pray, we ask God, God please show me. You'll be surprised what God will show you. 
Remember today, you did that, you said that, you thought about that, you went there, then you get convicted. Then God says, confess of that particular sin. God, I lied today. God, ah, I said something evil, untrue about someone today. God, I lusted today. Oh God, I was covetous today. God, I was discontent today. Oh God, I murmured today. And we must specifically com- um, ask for forgiveness and also repent of it. Now, what happened is this. Now, um, Ben, can you confess of every single sin that you've committed? Don't say one month ago. Just today. Not possible, right? Not possible. This is not saying that as long as you forget to confess one, then that is not forgiven. But it's saying we should not be so general that we do not even search our hearts. Understand that? Okay? So we ought to take your time. We ought to repent in particular. Otherwise, your life will not become more and more sanctified. You're just repenting generally. Repent in particular. Can you think of an example of someone who did that? No time, huh? You know the story? Um, 15.5a, give an example. You can write down Luke chapter 19, 1 to 10. It's actually in, in, your, in your notes. All right, let's read Luke 19, 8. I'll give you an example. Let's read Luke 19, 8, please. Luke 19, 8. Now, here is Zacchaeus. Please, I hope we repent specifically. Luke 19, verse 8. Let's read together. And Jesus said unto him, hey, uh, This is Luke. Okay, I'll tell you the story first. Now, Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was what? Was a tax, um, was a tax collector. Publican. Right? These publicans, they are known to be cheaters and so on. Okay, so now, um, he basically wanted to be safe. He looked for the Lord and he asked the Lord to forgive him. And he actually told the Lord that, now, everything, look at verse 8. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Let's read together. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Restoring fourfold is exactly what the Levitical law expects. Okay? And more. Now, Zacchaeus knew that as a publican, he would have overtaxed people, cheated people, and he said, Lord, anything that I've done wrong, I will restore four times. Now, this is not, Jack is not just saying, uh, he actually went ahead and did it. Okay? So, this is particular repentance. Now, um, I know of someone, after salvation, they got convicted. They remember, oh no, when I was an unbeliever, I did this, I took that. I want to repent, I want to restore. Then, write to the person, say, you know, I, I took this, uh, please forgive me, I, will, I, want, I want to restore. Alright? So, that is restoration. So these are genuine repentance. Repent in particular. Okay, number six. Let's quickly go through number six. So I think that's quite straightforward. Please repent in particular. Tonight, when you go back. In fact, this is how you should teach your children to repent. Say that uh, um, when they pray, God, please forgive me of my sins. Then you teach them. Did you lie today? I remember you told mommy this lie. Now you must confess. Teach them to repent in particular. Confess in particular. So that they begin to learn. Okay? Same for ourselves, of course. Number six. Let's read number six together quickly. 
as every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for pardon thereof, upon which, and forsaking them, he shall find mercy. So he that scandaleth his brother of the church, Christ, ought to be willing, by a private or public confession, and sorrow for his sin, to declare his repentance to those that are offended, who are thereupon to be reconciled to him, and in love receive him. Now what is this? Two parts. Number one, when we sin, we must privately confess to God. Ask God to forgive. Forsake them, and God says, you will find mercy. I ask you this question. Question. Um, six. A. How do we know God has for, for, forgiven us? How do we know? Um, Lillian. How do we know God has forgiven us? God made a promise. If we... How do we know God has forgiven us and God will forgive us? He made a promise. If we confess... If we confess... 1 John, correct. 1 John, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 God said if we confess... He promised to cleanse from what? what? From all. God promised to forgive when we confess. That is what he's saying here. Make private confession, desire to repent, you will find mercy. God will forgive. Now I asked B, uh, I want us to answer this. What are the... Pres oh, I didn't cover this. But I answer very quickly because this has been asked to me before. What are presumptuous sin? Have you read Psalm 19? Ask God to uh, help us to not commit presumptuous sin. Let me read Psalm 19, verse 13 to you. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sin, and let them not have dominion over me. You know what presumptuous sin? Uh, ben, what is presumptuous sin? Psalmist pray, Lord, keep thy servant back from presumptuous sin. Rowena, what is presumptuous sin? Done our presumption. Now, is it is done our presumption can mean I didn't know it's sin, I presume it is not sin and I did it. That's A. Done of presumption can also mean I knew it is sin, but I presume upon God's mercy and I went ahead to commit it. Which is which? Rowena. Say again. Alright. The psalmist pray, keep me from presumptuous sin. Means actually Christians do commit presumptuous sin that we need ask God to to keep us from. What are presumptuous sin? A, I presume it was okay. And I did it. And then later I found out that my presumption was wrong. It was a sin. Huh? Means done unknowingly. Or B, I presumed upon God's mercy. I went ahead to sin, just assuming that uh, God will forgive me and God, will, God is long-suffering. A or B? Leah. B. Who says A? A. A. No, it's B. Alright, we always read this and think it's A, right? We think, oh, because we didn't know. God, keep me from the sins I don't know. No, this is sins that we presume upon God's mercy. Means, have you and I committed such sins? We know we have. God will forgive me when I pray, I know. Then when I commit once. Huh? And then, 
we keep doing that. We just presume upon the mercy of God. We presume upon the mercy of God. Now, some may say, please, God, keep me from that. Let, stop me from doing it. Let it not have dominion over me. That's why he said, let it not have dominion over me. It's, if you do not know what dominion. Now he's talking about sin that, God, I'm becoming more and more presumptuous. Let it stop. Don't let it become my way of living. All right? So let it not have dominion. Now, if you and I commit presumptuous sin all the time, it's very dangerous. You know why? Sooner or later, it will catch up. We think that, oh, never mind. A company, I steal a bit. God will forgive me. Sooner, the problem with presumptuous sin is what? You get what? Bolder. Right or not? You get bolder. You tell one lie, tell another lie. That's why teach your children. Don't let them commit presumptuous sins because it will make them bolder, just like us. Make you bolder, you do more. And eventually, you get in big, big ruin. And God will chastise. Okay? It makes you sin more and more. Alright, so I just want to make sure we understand that. Now, lastly, I ask you this question. Um, okay, I see some of these questions. Some are very straightforward. Can you see 15.6b? Let's answer this and... Um, Pretty much we end. The rest is quite straightforward. 15.6b. What can be the two opposite extreme response of a believer who repents and seeks forgiveness? Why are both to be avoided? What are the two opposite extremes? Now, I quote you one extreme. One extreme is this presumptuous sin people. We. Presumptuous sin people where God is loving, God is forgiving, and after all, all these years, I keep sinning this sin. God seems to forgive me and I seem to get away with it. Right? And then, never mind, I sin first, then I ask for forgiveness. That is one extreme. You know what's the other extreme? What can you think of the other extreme, Leah? What's the other extreme? Say again. You what? You're right, I, I just... It, yeah, you feel miserable miserable, miserable, and even though God says, if you confess, if you truly repent, I'll make you white as wool, the other extreme is people who cannot forgive themselves, who cannot believe that God will forgive them also. Then they hang on to it. You know two extremes? Actually, most of us, as the other extreme. Uh, God always forgive. Uh, okay, uh, you know, we just live happy-go-lucky. God will forgive. Right? But sometimes the other extreme, people can go into depression also. It troubles them. Now, the whole point of this that, that um, they're trying to emphasize is when you confess, when you forsake them, you find mercy. <clears throat> God mercifully forgives. And then you must move. Then you will grow. Right? Satan can keep us in the grip of it. And then we can't get out of it. Okay, so um, God says if you confess, he's faithful. <clears throat> faithful <clears throat> and just for, to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me rejoice. But like I say most of us are the other extreme. So we have to be careful. The presumptuous sin people. Then the last, he that scandalizes his brother. Now that is private sin. Eh? You don't need to go around announcing to the whole world that today you did this sin or that sin when it's private. Okay? I remember at one one um, one church camp that I attended, a young Christian. That's why I want to make sure you understand there's private sins, there are public sins. Okay? Then he confessed. Lord, sorry that I lusted against Sister XYZ 
And oh, so all this prayer in the public. The sister was so embarrassed, she cried, and then they went to counsel the person. This is private sin. I mean, lust after woman is your private sin. You confess to the Lord. You don't have to confess to the whole world. Okay? Now, but if you commit a sin in church, eh, you steal church money. Is it private sin? No. If you lie to church members, is it private sin? No. Okay, that kind of thing. Church leaders commit adultery, sorry, also not private. Okay? So, public sin, public. Private sin, you don't have to suddenly go up to the... Anyone, anything to share this Friday? Give thanks. And after giving thanks, I don't know this. Private sins, alright? But if you commit a sin against a brother, think carefully this question. John, if you commit a... If you, if you offended your wife, you scolded her unreasonably and you lost your temper at her, alright? Losing temper, even if she is wrong, is wrong, right? We still sin, correct? Now, we lost our temper at our wife, even though she was wrong. But it is still sin. Then you say, oh, I should not lose my temper. I learned on Sunday, it is a sin. Then you go and confess to God. God, please forgive me for losing my temper at Bonnie. It is a sin. Please forgive me. I, I will repent. Then you get up very happy. Then you go away. Is that enough? What must you do? Must go to? The person, right? You still must go to the person because you scandalized your brother, you stumbled your brother, you offended your brother. We must still go to the person to ask for forgiveness. Specifically, husband and wife especially, this can happen. We say, ayah, oh husband and wife ready, no need to apologize. Like, you know, I know. Can. Tomorrow I speak nicely to you. I bring you up for breakfast. Because I already confessed to God. The Bible tells us um, in Luke chapter 17, we know that very clearly, right? That when a, a brother offends us, we offend a brother, we must go look for the brother and set it right, reconcile with the brother, right? So please do not just think, repentance means I confess to God, that's enough. If it is against a brother, we must go and ask for forgiveness after we have asked God for forgiveness. Okay? And when, the, when, when we go to the brother, or when the brother comes to you, Grace, please forgive me for scolding you that day. Then Grace must do what? Sorry. I'm sorry, I will not forgive you. Right? <laughs> right? So we know what to do. So yes, we must make sure that we are forgiving. Because sometimes we won't forgive also. When the person comes in repentance, we must forgive. Because Christ forgives us even we sin so many times against Him, right? So we must remember. Alright, so repentance and a few key things that I just want to summarize. When we repent, um, we must make sure that we confess specifically, repent specifically. Don't be general. Be careful of presumptuous sin. Don't, don't fall into that. Repent quickly, immediately. Because if you don't, you will say what? Since I sinned this sin already, I may as well sin the other sin. And then I sin a few other sins together, then I go confess to God all at one lump sum. Right? We have that tendency, right? Since I already the theory, yeah, I continue. So repentance, do it quickly, sincerely, all the time, throughout the day. Because the Lord says every time the brother sin, forgive. When he comes to ask for forgiveness, be genuine. Okay? Alright, so that's all. Let's pray. I'm sorry you exceeded time. Let's pray.